0: We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Broadway sports media. Choose
2: your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. I got second
0: phone. Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night. We gonna line up. We gonna play. Tighten up, baby.
1: Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast brought to you by Broadway Sports Media, partnered with 440 Sports. I'm Justin Graver, and joining me as always is Justin Mello. We got a lot to talk about. Titans pulled out a huge win over the division rival Indianapolis Colts, but it came at a big cost. We will obviously talk about the loss of Derrick Henry. And then we have a very special guest joining us to preview the Titans Rams Sunday night football game coming up this week, Sosa Cremenges. He's an NFL fantasy football analyst for Pro Football Focus and also the host of the Locked on Rams podcast. So we'll get his insights and expertise. But Justin, how are you doing after getting probably the worst news Titans fans have received in a long, long time yesterday?
2: Yeah, we definitely have a lot to talk about here regarding the Henry injury, uh, the players that they've added, what this offense looks like without him, and and really just overall fallout of it all. And also quite a few transactions were made by the Titans on Tuesday. They didn't make a trade. Tuesday was NFL's trade deadline, so that came and went without them making a move, but they did make several roster tweaks, uh, and, and some of them were rather noteworthy, so we got a lot to talk about tonight.
1: Absolutely. Let's start with those roster tweaks. We have the full list of transactions here. The Titans have signed four players to the practice squad, including future Hall of Fame running back Adrian Peterson, as well as Deontay Foreman, who they've brought back. He spent some time on the team last year. Defensive back Nate Brooks and defensive lineman Niles Scott as well. The Titans also waived linebacker Avery Williamson just a couple weeks after adding him. He didn't... uh, do anything and they released from the practice squad defensive lineman Karen Reed running back Makai Sargent who's been often on the roster a few times this year and defensive tackle Eli Anku, who played a decent amount of snaps on Sunday didn't he yeah I think he played somewhere between 15 to 20 snaps he played some snaps so let's go through these one by one now and react Adrian Peterson I'm gonna start off this discussion with a Josina Anderson tweet who right after Adrian, after the signing was announced, she said, on the phone with Adrian Peterson right now, who texted me right after his workout too. When I asked Peterson his thoughts on potentially facing the Rams, Aaron Donald, and Von Miller prime time in his first game back, he said, shit, that's a whole different story. I'll be ready though. She spelled it
2: S-H-E-E-I-I-T. She it in the tweet. That's so. from The Wire, man. If you've never seen The Wire, which I don't think you have, which breaks my heart, but everybody knows <laughs> that quote from The Wire. Oh, well, there you go. Quoting the wire. I knew that. I just wanted to let you
1: say it since you just watched The Wire and are super into it. Um yeah, Adrian Peterson. Pretty crazy. The Titans have added Julio Jones and Adrian Peterson to the roster in the same season, two future Hall of Famers, the same week that the Rams add future Hall of Famer
2: Von Miller to their defense. What do you make of this Peterson stuff? I mean, this is crazy. Uh, If that's where you want to start, I don't know that they could have found a better fit. Obviously, this news, uh, this Henry news is catastrophic, uh, to say the least. Um, I, I don't know that they could have found a better fit, um, from a physical standpoint, from an offensive fit, from a scheme perspective, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? I think he keeps you physical. He keeps the running game on schedule and, um, it, it'll help keep the play action game honest. Right. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, I, we know he's 36 years old. We know he's very much at the end of his line, but I do think that defenders, uh, will still have a lot of respect for him and, 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 rep- and, and. And respect the threat that he poses, right, to opposing rush, uh, running defenses. So, uh, I think it's a good fit from that perspective. I think he keeps the defense honest, and I, I think it's a good fit for Tennessee. I think it's
1: a great signing. I mean, you never want to see your superstar heartbeat of your offense, what everyone in the NFL believes to be like the the whole engine that makes your team go. You never want to lose a player like that. But Adrian Peterson. Is not in his prime anymore. In his prime, though, I mean, these are actually similar running backs. They're two guys who are big and powerful runners who, when they get into the open field, can house it and take it the distance with breakaway speed. Obviously, Peterson's not the player he was when he ran for 2,000 yards the year after he tore his ACL, by the way, but. He is a player that can can keep the running game going, even if he ends up with stat lines like 15 carries for 40 yards, which is basically what I expect. Maybe 40 yards and a touchdown, sort of an average weekly basis. And I think you're going to get Deontay Foreman, who I mentioned they signed, and plenty of Jeremy McNichols mixed in as well. I don't think you'll see Peterson on a lot of passing downs. There's no need to ask him to pass block, not that he can't do it, but... You have other bodies that can you have guys that can get out in space like McNichols and make, um, you know, some plays in the passing game. And Nichols has done a good job of that. But I think Peterson brings another element. You mentioned that defenses will respect him just because of who he is. But he's also a veteran who has a lot of experience. He has playoff experience. He basically single handedly carried the Vikings to the playoffs in his MVP season. That's right. He's a former MVP And the one thing missing from his resume is a Super Bowl championship. So you also got a guy who's going to come in here hungry and provide a leadership role as a guy who wants to win. He fits the culture. I don't see a downside to this signing. So I love the Adrian Peterson signing. I don't think he's going to rush for a thousand yards or anything, but I think he's going to be productive, keep the offense on schedule and uh, be exactly what the Titans need while they have to deal with the loss of Derrick Henry.
2: Yeah, and I want to quickly transition to Foreman because I didn't really get to touch on him there. Uh, pretty much everyone uh, with with knowledge of the Titans and the roster was expecting this move to happen, and it was a little surprising when it wasn't reported earlier. I guess, and I mean no disrespect when I say this, but I guess perhaps just not noteworthy noteworthy enough for these national reporters to be all over it. Obviously, they were all over the Henry news and the Peterson edition. Uh, there was never a mention of Foreman. Clearly, it doesn't mean that it wasn't going to happen because. Uh, as rare as it is, the Titans got to announce that today, right? Before any reporter did, either nationally or locally, that they've added Foreman to their practice squad. It was known that they worked him out, what, about a week, week and a half ago, uh, which is interesting because it occurred, obviously, before the Henry news, before the Henry injury. So they were already almost, doing their – I'm it was sorry? almost like an Evans reaction, Darrington R- Evans yes, going to uh, IR reaction. Good point. Very well. Could have been. Um, and, and here he is. Now, Foreman appeared in six games for the Titans last season, 22 carries 95 yards. That's a healthy 4.3 yards per carry. He also caught a touchdown pass. It was his lone catch. Uh, if you remember it, you probably don't because it was in that horrible game uh, with, with the primetime loss, I believe, to the Indianapolis Colts when, was it Trevor Daniel, the the, the FedEx punter came in and, and had a couple of terrible punts, so Foreman caught a touchdown in that game, um, but really what's noteworthy to me here, and, and I don't know if this is a realistic expectation or not, and I kind of wanted to discuss this with you, is the 4.3 yards per carry. Again, not a very large sample size. Let's be honest, that's a one-game sample size. Yes, it happened <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) in six games but it's 22 carries right and and i don't even think he's gonna get that obviously right even with the with the henry injury but that's roughly a one game sample size for a starting running back 22 carries 95 yards 4.3 yards per carry if he can give the titans heck let's let's take away 0.3 yards let's say from that if he can give the titans four yards carry i think you consider that a win don't you do you not absolutely i think that he's a great
1: guy to to help Peterson who again is 36 years old and help McNichols who's not I mean McNichols is a fine between the tackles runner but it's just not really ever been
2: his role with this team I think it's not Foreman's a punisher a, too right he doesn't he doesn't keep you fit as physical as the duo of Peterson and Foreman will agreed agreed
1: and Foreman also kind of looks like Derrick Henry just like build and hair and like on the field it kind of looks like <laughs> him so Titans fans <laughs> will have maybe a little bit of relief seeing him out
2: there. I don't know. I don't know that the hair matters, but one thing I will say about this, and it's funny, I'm thinking about this out loud right now. Uh, I fully expect or or fully expected, I should say, because I'm almost starting to change my mind, but I fully expected Peterson to lead this team in carries, but. Do you not see a scenario where it's possible where both of them, and I I refer to Peterson and Foreman, maybe they both touch the ball somewhere between 10 to 12 carries a game, and then maybe you get McNichols, you know, two to five in addition to the work that he'll continue to receive in the passing game, right? I I can kind of see that playing out that way where Peterson and Foreman both handle somewhere between 10 to 12 carries each.
1: That's almost exactly what I would expect. I don't think you'll have a bell cow in Tennessee anymore. Sorry, fantasy football players who own Derrick Henry on your teams. This isn't going to, you're not going to have a handcuff ready to go. Obviously, there's nobody that can replace Derrick Henry. There's not even somebody said this on like ESPN or I don't know where they said it, but somebody said there's not even a start. I think it was Michael Irvin. There's not even a starting running back on another team that you would replace like could replace Derrick Henry. He's the best running back in the NFL. Like nobody can replace his production. Look at the rushing stats on any NFL website right now, stat board. But the fact that um, you got these two guys that can come in here, I think is going to at least help the Titans keep their offense on schedule. Let's talk about linebacker Avery Williamson being released. I don't think this is that noteworthy, except to say that Jayon Brown is probably close to being ready to return, which would be a huge boost for this defense.
2: Yeah. You know, it's funny how these things go, right? This whole fan base got in a bit of a frenzy when they reunited with Williamson a few weeks ago. And I understand, I understand why don't get me wrong, but there was a lot of chatter of, Oh, maybe they're going to, you know, bench Rashawn Evans, or maybe he can take over for Evans, especially as a run stopping linebacker. Well, fast forward a few weeks later um, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe Williamson did not play a single snap on defense, not one. He was basically uh, held exclusively to a special teams role. He did play on special teams every single week and and got snaps in that area, but he did not play a single snap on defense. And I think the writing was really on the wall when this past week when Evans was out with an injury. So rare for Evans to miss action, but he was out with an injury against Indianapolis. And not only did Monty Rice, you know, third round rookie out of Georgia, not only did he draw the start, but Williamson didn't again didn't even get a snap. Uh, You know, if he can't get a snap. When both Jayon Brown and Rashawn Evans are out, then the writing was on the wall. They they clearly either never had that high of opinion on him to begin with, or he didn't show enough in practice or a little from column A, a little from column B, but uh, really damning for him, right? When he didn't play in that game against Indianapolis. So they've released him now. It is what it is. I, I do not expect him to come back probably at any point. And, um, you know, it is what it is. We We, we hardly knew you, Avery. Yeah, and it looks like he was ultimately
1: signed for a lot bigger special teams role and a lot smaller defensive role than anyone ever expected. Um, before we talk about the Titans-Colts game, which was a big game, let's talk about the biggest headline. Obviously, you mentioned it at the top. It's why we're talking about the running backs. Derrick Henry, broken bone in his foot, the fifth metatarsal. I watched a, a great breakdown on what this injury is and what it means and how it might have occurred by this YouTube doctor guy who's got a great, you know, he, does, he makes good videos that are very informative. And it it appears that Derrick Henry suffered this injury on one of his first carries of the game, probably the second carry of the game, his second carry of the game. And yeah, he played the rest of the game with a broken bone in his foot, had surgery. 27 carries. Yeah, 26, I think, 25 or 26 had surgery on Tuesday morning. Diana Rossini reported that it was a very successful surgery, which means no complications during the procedure, which is one of the areas of concern where complications can happen. So that means he should be on track to return in six to 10 weeks. Ian Rappaport says, and he's doubled down on this take a few times, six weeks would be very soon. Eight weeks is a more reasonable expectation. And 10 weeks is a conservative Potential way for the Titans to do this thing because the Titans and Mike Vrabel are notoriously conservative with returning players from injury and if the Titans don't need to Win games anymore in 10 weeks because they already have the division wrapped up, which they very well could And if those last two games that Henry could come back for are against the Dolphins and the Texans I don't really know if the Titans would need to bring Henry back in the regular season, but all signs point to Barring a setback, at some point during the next 10 weeks, Henry could return for the playoff run, which really is what this season is about at this point. Sunday's win puts the Titans at a 97% chance to win the division, according to the New York Times Simulator. They currently hold the first overall seed in the AFC. Obviously, you'd like to have Henry on the team to try to secure that number one seed, but... The Titans are on track to make the playoffs without Henry. The season is absolutely not over. And so at this point, it's all about getting him and everyone else on the team, including Julio Jones healthy for the playoffs, but overall a pretty devastating injury, Justin.
2: Yeah. I mean, it is devastating. Obviously the, the saving grace is, you know, he's, he's reportedly going to come back for the playoffs. Uh, you know, I, I have questions at that point. How ready is he? Is there some rush there? That's, worth shaking off even though that week 17 game is a cupcake game is is it worth trying to get him back for that one even if it's 10 to 12 carries right just to get him into the flow uh once again but i i I think you're lying to yourself if you say that you know exactly a what this offense is going to look like in his absence and b that they're not going to miss a beat I mean, I, I thought Joe Rexrode uh, of The Athletic wrote a, a pretty, it, it was a grim article, but it, it was quite fair. And it, it kind of covered a lot of my concerns. saying, it, you know, it's too often do we say, oh, next man up. It's a next man up league. There is no next man up when you're talking about Derek Henry, right? Like I understand he's not a quarterback, but the Tampa Bay Buccaneers don't just replace Tom Brady. The Kansas City Chiefs don't just replace Patrick Mahomes. He's that kind of superstar. Tennessee Titans don't just replace Derrick Henry, right? I, I really think it's that simple. And, and I'm not saying that it's, you know they're definitely going to flounder or that this offense is going to be bad. I don't think this offense is going to be bad. I don't think they're going to have any issue winning uh, uh, you know more games in the regular season. It's a fairly easy schedule, and I, I expect them to be fairly successful without Henry uh, down the stretch of the regular season. But for me, I definitely have questions about how it's going to look. I mean, this is a guy – was on pace for what 2,100 yards and 25 rushing touchdowns I mean how do you lose that and, and, and just sit here and, and say oh they'll they'll be okay or the offense will be fine I mean you don't know that for sure right we have to see what this looks like and and, and it's funny I, w- I was talking to one of my friends about it who's, who's a doesn't work in the industry, but is a very big football fan and is very very knowledgeable. Happens to be a Los Angeles Rams fan, funny enough. And and he said something interesting to me. And and sometimes it's interesting to hear these outsider point of views, right? Guys who aren't a, a fans of the team. And he said to me, he goes, "This is why you pay the quarterback. You know, this is why they they paid Ryan Tannehill what they paid him. Well, now it's on him to go shoulder this offense and and, and kind of lean on the passing attack. And I think that's probably a fair uh, point of view to have. So, what does that look like? the drop back passing game has been a bit of an underrated concern for us on this show in previous years, right? We've talked about how when it's not play action, it's looked a little sloppy. It's resulted in a lot of sacks, yada, yada. It just doesn't look to be clicking. Uh, I, you know, I'm curious a to get your take on if you feel like some of those issues have carried over into this season. I feel like we have seen uh, bits and pieces of that. I do think it's a little improved uh, from a year ago, but Now, what does it look like right? when you don't have the threat of Derrick Henry? Now, I think play action is still going to be very successful. Uh, I think of uh, Chargers head coach Brandon Staley and a a comment he made a couple weeks ago when he talked about play action. It it was every uh, Twitter football analyst's uh, favorite press uh, press conference. I'm sure you saw it circling around Twitter because Coach Staley said, and this is a belief, again, that many people uh, hold, it does not take a successful running game to have a good play-action passing offense. And we've seen that, right? The evidence backs that up, the analytics backs that up. But what the running game does do, it keeps teams physical, they have to tackle, right? So Titans don't lose that with Peterson and and, and Foreman, but I am curious to see how these defenses, how these linebackers respect that play action game when you don't have number 22 back there. So there's a lot of question marks and no answers right now, right? Relatively speaking. And those answers will reveal themselves not only this Sunday, but in the coming weeks, but I don't know what this looks like without Derrick Henry. I don't know how much this play act. uh, Sorry, this, this drop back passing game can pick it up in his absence. And I think they're going to be relatively okay, but it's certainly a catastrophic loss. And if anybody's trying to sell it, anything short of that, uh, you are probably just biased and lying to yourself. I do think that, yeah,
1: of course it's a catastrophic loss. I think it's a it's um a big deal in terms of the Titans chances at getting the top seed and the first round yes. playoff bye. I don't think For it sure. significantly alters their Super Bowl chances outside yeah. of how much easier it is to win a Super Bowl when you get the first round bye and a bunch of home playoff games that lead you to that Super Bowl. So, yes, that is a blow But the Titans aren't out of the running for the top seed. They have the tiebreaker versus the Bills, which would be huge um, if they end up tied. And, you know, we've seen the Chargers stumble lately. Uh, At least last week, they lost uh, a game that they probably could have won. We've seen the Ravens... uh, well, the Ravens have been playing really well. They were on a bye last week. Ravens and Raiders were on a bye last week. We'll see how they come back fresh from that. The Bengals stumbled last week, losing to the Jets, which is apparently the worst thing that can happen to a team season,
2: according to Titans fans. The, the number one seed, sorry, not to cut you off, but the number one seed, you mentioned a lot of teams. It's a three-team race. It's the Tennessee Titans, the Buffalo Bills, and the Baltimore Ravens. I do not believe that the Los Angeles Chargers, the Las Vegas Raiders, or the Cincinnati Bengals have a legitimate chance at getting the number one seed. It may not be a popular opinion, but I'll say it anyway. Without Henry in the fold, even though they hold the tiebreaker over the Bills, I think this puts the Bills in the driver's seat to land that. They've got a, a super easy schedule. It's, it's, it's awfully similar to that of Tennessee's, right? Whereas nobody in the division poses a threat to them. I mean, who did they, they played Miami last week. Now they get to play, I think Houston this week. I mean, their schedule is, and, and they got, of course, a bunch more games in the AFC East division. That is just as bad as the AFC South, in my opinion. So I, I think this kind of gives the bills, the upper hand in that race. Uh, I would probably put the Titans number two though, right now. And I think the Ravens would be a two B. I think they're awfully close to factoring into that, but I believe they have a relatively difficult schedule uh, down the stretch. And I also think the AFC North um, is a difficult division. Pittsburgh is surging and are kind of getting back on track. The Bengals are a great team. We saw them march into Baltimore a few weeks ago and, and, and wipe the floor with them shockingly. So, and the Browns, I know they're four and four and they're banged up, but, by no means do they represent an easy victory.
1: So, yeah, that Bengals game is what I was thinking of when I said the Ravens stumbled a bit. They did. They did yes.
2: stumble a bit last time we saw them on the they field. Got yeah, their, they, so they right. got their I mean, they got their teeth kicked in. And I believe yeah. it was at home by the Bengals. Yeah, so. they lost by I two, do think the AFC North division is good enough for Baltimore, you know, those four teams, Baltimore specifically, will probably spend a little bit too much time beating up on one another. Uh in order and uh you know, that that will hurt Baltimore's chances to get the number 1 seed, but I like Buffalo, truthfully. I really do. Don't rule out the Bengals,
1: though, Justin, because, I mean, it's not it doesn't mean anything, really. But their offense, they're the only team in the NFL with a top five quarterback, top five running back and top five receiver in terms of yardage before Monday night's game happened. Patrick Mahomes passed Joe Burrow and made him the number six QB. So top six passing yardage QB, the number four overall rusher and the number three Highest receiver. Anyway, we're a little off topic
2: here, so let's steer things back. Yes, and but as we steer things back, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to put you on the spot. Give our listeners uh, a, a, an explanation, and expectation of what you think this offense looks like without him.
1: I honestly think for the most part, you're going to see a very similar structure. I think the running game could... It's not going to be better without the best running back in football. <laughs> There could be less bodies in the box now, especially if Julio Jones is able to get on the field at any point in time and defenses start to say, you know what, maybe we should back off a little bit, cover A.J. Brown and Julio Jones with as many bodies as we can and let 36-year-old Adrian Peterson practice squad running backs Deontay Foreman and pass-catching running back Jeremy McNichols run the ball against our fronts without bringing that extra safety down into the box or that extra that extra linebacker on the field and have a nickel corner instead, you know what I mean? So we'll see if they, if they move to more of a drop-back passing game, but I really don't think they will. I think it's going to be a run-based offense with a lots of heavy play action. I think what you said about Brandon Staley and the play-action game is absolutely correct. Mike Vrabel said... In his press conference on Monday, lots of teams work two-back systems where their different running backs carry the ball in their same running system. So we're not going to change our running game now that just because we don't have Derrick Henry, we're going to expect our other backs to step up and run our system. So I think you're going to see a lot of outside zone mixed with the the power duo runs the Titans have been using a lot more of lately i think as far as the pass blocking in the drop back passing game it's gotten a lot better since the start of the season i mean they had a disaster game against the cardinals they had a disaster game against the jets Tannehill was sacked three times on sunday against indianapolis but they did have to start passing a little more than they probably wanted to after getting down 14 to 0 and then getting down again late and having to go drive to take a late lead in the fourth quarter um which I guess they didn't really have to do because Elijah Molden got that pick six, but they did take a lead then they lost it. Then the Molden got the pick six. But I think, you know, as long as Julio Jones can get out there and contribute the passing game can pick up the slack. You know, you haven't had Julio in most games this year. So you lose one future hall of famer, but hopefully you get back another one. And we already talked about Peterson being one of those things too. So overall, my expectation is that the offense maybe doesn't, Stay ahead of the sticks as much. You might see a couple more third and longs thrown in per game. Um, but I don't think the scoring output's gonna be affected all that badly. I think if Henry can't come back for the playoffs, it's a disaster because you're going up against the best teams in the league at that point. But for the rest of this regular season, where you got the Texans twice, you got the Jags, you got the Dolphins, you got the Niners, there's a lot of beatable teams left on this schedule with or without Derrick Henry. And, you know, maybe the Titans will maybe in a weird way, not saying this will be good, but there will be positives that come out of this, which is that the Titans learn how to win without Derrick Henry. They're going to have to over the next few weeks.
2: Yeah. A couple points I want to make there. Uh, number one, lem- let me make it very clear that I am not concerned about the remainder of the regular season. Uh, not even a little bit. Like I said, I think the schedule is soft enough where they will win a bunch more football games, comfortably win the division and, and potentially still be in the mix for that number one seed. Um, what I am concerned about, I'm glad you brought it up and, and I know it has looked better in recent weeks, but if all of a sudden you do have to lean more on that drop back passing game, which you almost certainly will. Um, how does it look like up front in pass protection? Again, it has looked better. But I, I think you'd be naive to not be a little concerned there, right? As they continue to maybe shift towards more of that and and, and have to employ it a little bit more. Um, what does it look like up front? I mean, you saw Ryan Tannehill get up a little gingerly right at, at one point in that Colts game. So of course you're going to miss Henry, but there, there's, wide-ranging outcomes to this, right, and, and and how it impacts the team. So how those guys hold up and pass pro up front uh, in that drop-back passing game is going to be a big factor into whether or not the Titans can sustain um, this injury to Henry.
1: Yep. Well, I think that covers the uh, the Henry talk there. Let's quickly recap this Titans-Colts game. I want to shout out a few guys on the defensive side of the ball and talk about AJ Brown. So let's get into it. The Titans do it. They pull off the huge win, their fourth win in a row. They beat the Colts in Indianapolis, 34 31 in overtime. Randy Bullock nails the game winner, just sneaks it inside the right upright Titans did not start well in this game. We kind of predicted the game flow pretty well. I think on our last podcast here, we knew the Colts were going to give the Titans everything they could handle. The Titans withstood the the first early punches. They got down 14 to 0, but they were able to tie it up before the end of the first half, 14 to 14 on one of the craziest sequences I've ever seen. I mean, this this happens maybe once every couple of seasons where a team gets a turnover and turns it right back over to the offense before they even bring their own offense out onto the field. In this case, it was Taekwon Lewis picking off one of Tannehill's worst throws as a Titan, where he was like falling down, moving backwards, and just floated it right over the middle as Taekwon Lewis drops back and picks it off. But Taekwon Lewis injured himself on the return. Sad to see that happen to a player. As he was falling to the ground, he dropped the ball, and Anthony Ferkser was able to dive on it. The very next play, Tannehill finds A.J. Brown on the sideline, and Brown takes it 57 yards for a touchdown that tied the game at 14, A huge sequence for the Titans there, and who knows how the game goes if that sequence doesn't happen, but A.J. Brown, what more can we say about this guy? 10 catches, 155 yards, and a touchdown in this one, and I have some stats from NFL research I want to read off here about just how incredible A.J. Brown is as a player. This is his second career game with 10-plus catches, 150-plus yards, and a touchdown. He has two of those games There's only two wide receivers with more than two of those games in the last two years, Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill. So he's an excellent company there. 130 plus yards in back-to-back games. First time in his career where he's recorded 130 plus yards in back-to-back games. He has 90 plus yards in three straight games. No Titans receiver has done that since Drew Bennett in 2004. And he's the third Titans player ever to have seven-plus catches and 90-plus yards in three straight games, joining Charlie Hennigan in 1964 and Derek Mason in 2002. So oh, one other note on Brown. This one was making the rounds on Twitter and and maybe even on the broadcast. Brown scored a 57-yard touchdown, his seventh career 50-plus-yard touchdown. The only player with more 50-plus-yard touchdowns since A.J. Brown entered the league is his teammate, running back Derrick Henry, who has eight such touchdowns. A.J. Brown, my friend, the offense is on your shoulders
2: now. I hope that you can continue producing at this level. Isn't it ever? And and I think it's, it's imperative that they get Julio Jones back as soon as possible. I mean... Obviously Brown has been unbelievable over the last three games, but Call me a pessimist. You know, I still worry about the hamstring and the injuries he had earlier in the year, especially when you start factoring in, like you just said, that they're about to probably lean on him a whole lot more, right? So what I would love to see is Julio Jones make a return as soon as possible. Of course, you don't, you're not going to risk his long-term health. You're not going to risk his availability in the playoffs. That still comes first, but I would love to see him stay healthy, come back ASAP and and try to help take some of that load off of A.J. Brown's shoulders. right. Anything else you want to talk
1: about on the offensive side of the ball? I mean, the Colts shut down Derrick Henry, 28 carries for 68 yards. Tannehill was pretty good outside of those two awful interceptions. I mean, overall, 23 for 33, 265 yards passing, three touchdowns. Decent day. I mean, he also picked up a couple of first downs on fourth down with his legs. He had two carries for 26 yards in total. So Tannehill did a nice job keeping this team in the game after he almost got them out of the game with those that, especially that first interception. He talked about it in the post game. He said the, uh, the corner had his back to him, meaning back to Tannehill and man to man coverage. And right when he let go of the ball, he said the nickel corner, Kenny Moore turned around surprisingly, and he's not sure what he could have done different on that play. But when you look at the broadcast angle of it, there's like four Colts right there. So I don't know. That was a pretty awful pass, but Tannehill did enough. Obviously, he uh he, he did enough to win the game for this team so I think that he's going to have to do a lot over the next few weeks without Derrick Henry to keep winning them games but any other offense notes before we shout out a few players on defense
2: Yeah I got a, I got a question for you uh regarding you know we we talked about the the concerns of if Henry can't return for the playoffs or even if he isn't in top form um for the playoffs this is one of my you know my my biggest concerns about that even though, like I said, I think we have no concerns about the rest of the regular season. But you look at the way that they've won in the playoffs, right? How did they beat New England that, that you know in, in 2019? So on the back of Henry in the running game. How did they beat Baltimore the following week? I know the defense had a great game, but it was on the hey, back Tannehill of Henry. Hill threw two touchdowns to make it 14-0 in that game. He, he did. He hit that Khalif Raymond on that play action after they Johnny got the Smith turnover, had- but. Uh, Come on. I mean, what did Henry have? 225 (laughs) rushing yards in that game, I think. 180 something. Yeah, I think it's pretty fair to give Henry some credit, right? (laughs) For that win. I mean, Henry salted it away. Tannehill built the lead, and Henry made sure Baltimore couldn't get back in the game. But the way that offense has won games, in my opinion, has been in the playoffs, been on the back of Derrick Henry. Now, how have they lost games? How have they lost games? They lost to the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. They shut down the run game, the passing game couldn't pick up the slack following year how did they lose the first the wild card game to the baltimore ravens at home the ravens stopped the running game passing offense couldn't pick up the slack the titans stopped
1: trying to pass they had a.j brown dominating that game and they stopped going to him. Yeah, it was, i agree it was a, I it, hear it was a terrible game
2: plan truthfully by an ter- arthur yeah. smith's worst game as titans offensive coordinator unfortunately his final game uh yeah. went out on such a bitter note in my opinion because it was a bad game coached by arthur smith but regardless the passing game did not help them get back in that game. Did not help them, I don't want to say not get back, because it was a close football game, but did not help them overcome the challenges of of how they were stuffing Derrick Henry. Did not win that football game. So, I agree. Co- pretty common themes here. You know, you can, you can make a couple... But beat- butts, butts as you did, but pretty common themes here when they've won playoff games over the last two years, it's been on the back of Derrick Henry offensively when they've lost playoff games. It's been because they could they did not run the ball successfully and the passing game did not pick it up. So that so, is my makeup. when you're going up against the Buffalo Bills, who they the AFC, beat in week five of last season with Derrick Henry rushing for 60 yards. Absolutely. But. A couple weeks ago on this, po- on this podcast, when we previewed the Buffalo Bills game, what did we say was one of the keys to that game? And how did they win that game offensively? Sure, sure, sure.
1: You're <laughs> right about all this, but none of it matters because by the time the playoffs come around, Henry will be back. And not only will he be back, he'll be fresh. He won't have 370-something carries to his <laughs> name on the year. He'll still have what, 180 or 200, whatever he's at right now. But um he won't have 355 or whatever he had going into the playoff,
2: 376 or whatever it was last year. So, uh I, I sure hope you're right because I, I think you are. And I don't get me wrong. I'm not betting against Derrick Henry here. I think he's one of the, the freakiest athletes in the world, right? And if anybody can come back from this in, in a relatively normal time frame like we've seen at 10 weeks, whatever it is, uh, it's certainly Derrick Henry. But I'm just saying – They do not for whatever reason, not only, you know, even if they have him, but he's not in top form uh, pain management is hurting him. And and he's not the player, the explosive player that we know he is. Then uh, it's, it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to overcome, especially in January when all hands are on deck, when you are going against the Baltimore Ravens in the playoffs, you are going against the Buffalo bills in the playoffs. Heck, maybe even who, who knows the chargers, whatever it is, you do need all hands on deck. You are not going to win these games um, without your star players. Just like I would say the Buffalo bills are not going to go be the Tennessee Titans in January. If they don't have Josh Allen, right. That's not going to happen. Uh, I would be concerned that the Titans um, cannot overcome a lack of Henry in the postseason. When push comes to shove, you need all hands on deck. They absolutely need Derek Henry in top form in the playoffs. True, true, true. They,
1: will, they absolutely do, but we'll, we have no way of knowing if he'll be back by then. We can only hope. Let's talk about, quickly, I would like to talk about Harold Landry, who had his fifth straight game with at least one sack, getting to Carson Wentz on Sunday on a Colts three and out drive. Landry has eight and a half sacks on the year. Now that puts him second tied for second in the NFL behind miles Garrett, who has 10 and a half, and TJ watt, who also has eight and a half tied with Harold Landry in watt has done that in six games. Landry's played eight games, whatever we want to talk about that part. Landry has the most sacks through the first eight games of a season in Titans history. So obviously having a great year on pace for o- over 17 sacks on the season. What more can you say about Harold Landry breaking out, finally having his breakout year in a contract year Titans got a franchise tag and we've talked about it before, but I just want to shout him out again because he continues to show up week in and week out. And he even said, so, you know, it's a week to week league. You got to show up every single week, try to go one and know each week. And I think Harold Landry is doing his part.
2: I mean, absolutely. Harold Landry, I mean, we, we sound like a broken record, right? I, I don't know when was the last episode we had where we didn't praise the play of Harold Landry. So he is doing it every week. He is earning his money. And and one thing I want to say to make this comment unique, um, a little spoiler alert for our listeners, but our guest, you know, Sosa from, from Pro Football Focus and Locked On Rams is about to come on uh, and help us preview this Rams game. And he's going to praise the offensive line of the Los Angeles Rams. Matthew Stafford has hardly been sniffed this season. The Rams offensive line is playing terrific football in pass protection. You talk about Tennessee going into this game without Derrick Henry. They're obviously going to need some help from their defense, right? I think there's there's no denying that they got to get a couple stops. I'm not saying you have to go out there and hold the Rams to 10-15 points, but you have to get a couple stops. Can this defensive line help take some of that pressure off of the offense, a new look offense? Can they get pressure on Matthew Stafford? I'm very excited to see that because not only is Harold Landry been playing terrific, I think Dino Cole has been unbelievable. I think Jeffrey Simmons has been unbelievable. And I think Bud Dupree is playing better football every week as he continues to get healthier. I think it started in Kansas City. Uh, I thought he played his best game of the year against Kansas City. And I think he kind of carried that momentum over into the Indianapolis game as well. I thought he I thought he played well. So this, ten, this, this, you know, these four players, this defensive line who have done a great job getting pressure on the quarterback without blitzing that, what does that do, right? That allows you to drop more men into coverage. They're playing a lot of zone coverage lately. They've been doing that against Kansas city, Buffalo, as they drop these players back and, and try to take away the big plays, take away what Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes like to do. It has to be very similar against the Los Angeles Rams, Matthew Stafford, and the likes of Cooper cup and Robert Wood. So it is a massive challenge against this offense. You have to be able to get pressure with four. That's going to be a very interesting battle to watch on Sunday. The Titans have three players
1: in the top 10 of pressures, total pressures in the NFL this season. Harold Landry, Danico Autry, and Jeffrey Simmons are all on the top 10 list in terms of pressures. So, yes, the Titans events will need to keep that up dupree made a hell of an effort on the play that basically changed the tide of the game i know the colts went down and scored and tied it and forced it to overtime anyway but right before that elijah molden's pick six happens because bud dupree who gets cut block as the colts try to set up a screen gets up off the ground and wraps up carson wentz and forces that Insane left handed, terrible throw that he tried to make. And without Bud Dupree's pressure on that play, that Molden pick six doesn't happen. And who knows how that game goes. Another guy I want to shout out is Kevin Byard, who didn't have a great fourth quarter, but he did have a terrific overtime period, getting the game ceiling interception that put the Titans in basically in field goal range. They had a illegal penalty on A.J. Brown where they had to get back into field goal range, but Bayard's interception put them there to start, and he's now tied for second in the NFL in interceptions with four on the season in eight games. Trayvon Diggs, of course, with seven, leads the NFL. Uh, Logan Wilson in Cincinnati also has four, but Kevin Bayard looks like he's back to his all-pro form this season after what was a down year last year, and his play, that defensive line play, is a huge reason why the, the defense is looks better this year. You can't have a good defense without having great players, and these two guys are playing great football.
2: Don't forget, I mean, the play of David Long, the improved play of, of I mean, three probably three guys in the secondary. I would say all three of Jack Rabbit, Jenkins, Elijah Molden, and Chris Jackson have all stepped up their games in, in a major way over the last couple of weeks. Uh, one thing I will say about Bayard is, look, great players aren't perfect. OK, and, and and Bayard isn't perfect. Look, like he made a, a huge error at the end of the fourth quarter there. That was a, a, a terrible pass interference that literally allowed the Colts to tie the football game, uh, which didn't look very likely. Right. Especially after the Wentz pick six to Molden. But he made a terrible play there. But what do great players do again? They're not perfect. They make mistakes. But great players do is that they make up for their mistakes. Right. Bayard came back out. In overtime and recorded the interception that really helped them win the football game. So you really love to see that from number 31 Four interceptions on the year is, as you said, I believe he had zero last season, right? So that was shocking. So you would love to see him back in the form that he is in. And I think he's got a great chance to go to the pro bowl and maybe even be an all pro this year.
1: Yeah, he's playing terrific football. It's it's what you need to see from the, from him. He did have one interception last year, but mm. still, yes, a down. I'm sorry, year. it was
2: zero as a rookie. I remember talking to him about it recently, and it, it kind of escaped. Zero as a rookie, right. one last season. How about Monty Rice playing sixty seven and a half percent
1: of the snaps? He uh, he didn't have a bad game. He didn't make any plays where I went, oh, Monty Ryan. He may have got, uh, somebody may have got the edge on him one time and he made some good plays over the middle in the passing game just like tackling the receiver or tight end as soon as the ball got there. Finished the game with seven tackles, second on the team right behind David Long who had nine total tackles and just ahead of Harold Landry who had five and the Titans only sack. And actually, that Harold Landry sack was the team's only tackle for loss of the game. So Colts offensive line played very well. They got push in the run game. Luckily for the Titans, Frank Reich only handed it to Jonathan Taylor 16 times. He he took those 16 carries for 70 yards and a touchdown. He took an additional three catches for 52 yards, including that first play of the game, which was a huge explosive for the Colts to start things off. But luckily for Titans fans and for that Titans defense, Frank Reich elected to put the ball in the hands of Carson Wentz who threw 51 passes for only 231 yards and those two interceptions. The defense, I got to tell you the splits of Carson Wentz in the first three quarters compared to the fourth quarter. This is courtesy NFL research again. First three quarters, Wentz was 21 for 32, 164 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a passer rating of 109.4. The Titans defense in the fourth quarter locked up, and they needed to. Wentz was six of 19 in the fourth quarter for just 67 yards, no touchdowns, two interceptions for a passer rating of, wait for it, 3.5. 3.5 passer rating. You would have a better passer rating throwing the ball into the turf on every snap. So great job by this Titans defense to play their best ball when it mattered the most. And come out with this win. That was fourth quarter and overtime, I should specify there for uh, Carson Wentz. But um, yeah, great job by this team. Gutsy, tough, gritty win. Derrick Henry playing on the broken foot. Uh, all these guys making huge efforts. Imani Hooker had a nice pass breakup over the middle on one play. It's nice to see him back out on the field. And Elijah Molden had that, it was responsible for giving up Jonathan Taylor's huge catch in the flat that went for a big gain on the first play. But after that, he really locked in and and focused up, and obviously he made a huge play with the pick six, athletic jumping up to catch that ball and get in the end zone, instinctive play by him. And you just love to see this team coming together to get these big wins in these big spots and not have that letdown game that everyone feared could be coming this week, or last week, I should say
2: look, they take a four game winning streak into Los Angeles, uh, Sunday primetime. Uh, I'm excited for it. Uh, even, you know, of course the Henry loss is terrible and you really wish you had him for this game, but you take a four game winning streak into LA under the bright lights, SoFi stadium primetime, Sean McVay, Matthew Stafford, Adrian Peterson, you're going to be in attendance. You might be the biggest star there, uh, of anybody in attendance. So, uh, I'm excited for it, man. And um, e- even though uh, you know I, I think the Rams probably win this game uh, truthfully I, I'm excited for it and uh, I can't wait for Sunday to get here All
1: Right. the uh, the Rams are one of three NFC teams to have seven wins there are no AFC teams with seven wins there's only one AFC team with six wins mostly because of buys The Titans are that one team. And I know I harp on this every week, but it drives me fucking crazy still. Excuse my language. The Titans should be a seven win team. They should be the only seven-win team. This should be a seven and one game against a seven a seven and one team against a seven-one team. That Jets game is gonna drive me crazy for the rest of my life.
2: You, you sound like me, man, because I, you know, I, I always get some flack for being pessimistic. You sound like me right now, but I'm not gonna lie, you know, I, I haven't fully let go of that game either. They should absolutely be seven and one. And man, they'd have the best record in the NFL tied with the Green Bay Packers. And I think the Cardinals are also seven and one, but uh, they have the best record in the NFL. And thinking about it, that would give them a huge cushion in the, for the number one seed. I mean, you would and be like. the division, they would
1: like 97% would go to 99.9.
2: I mean, I'm not even, I don't even worry about that. Uh, the division's <laughs> already won in my books. But when I think of the number one seed, fewer 7 and 1. Are the Bills 5 and 2, I assume? Or yeah, Bills are five, 5 and 2. two. So not, you would have a two game lead on the Buffalo Bills and you would have the tiebreaker over them. I mean, shit. You, you feel great about your chances of, of, of capturing the number one seed, even with this Henry injury, if you had won that Jets game.
1: Yeah. So we don't have to harp on it anymore, but it just continues to hurt because this team should be on a seven game win streak right now. And they are not. All right. Let's welcome in our guest. Then this week, we are excited to talk to Sosa Cremenjez. He's an NFL fantasy analyst for Pro Football Focus and the host of the Locked On Rams podcast, which is why we have him on to preview this Titans-Rams game. Sosa, thanks for joining us this evening. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing well. Uh, thank you, Justin Squared, for having me
0: on, guys. It's, uh, it's going to be an interesting game. I mean, I, I feel like you know, had we talked about this uh, 72 hours ago, maybe a little bit more exciting for, for Titans fans, especially. But, um, you know, we're talking about two teams right now, 7-1, and 6-2, and two, uh, the class of the NFC, the class of the AFC, two teams that are probably going to be, you know, in the mix when it comes January, late December, whatever the case is. So going to be a good game. Uh, I'm excited to break it down with you guys. It's going to be a fun one.
1: Yeah, that's a great setup. So let's just dive right into it. Then let's, let's talk first about the news and how the news of, of this last 72 hours is going to affect things. Obviously the Rams have traded for probably future hall of famer Von Miller. How do you think this changes the Rams defense or improves that for what's already a tough D line? What are your thoughts on this move for the Rams going all in with Von Miller now? Yeah, you know, I I love it. I I mean, this team is all in, like you mentioned.
0: Uh, They got nothing to hold back anymore. I I mean, I feel good for the Titans because uh, it's kind of that short week where you might see him for 5, 10, 15 snaps. It's not really going to be an exclusive, you know, big kind of game plan or or, uh, they're not going to really toss him out there, especially coming off the ankle too. But when you look at the long haul here, the next you know, three months, especially going into December, January, where you might have to play Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs. You might have to go against Tom Brady. Some of these big quarterbacks, legendary quarterbacks, you start to talk about now you're adding him to a defensive line as Aaron Donald, another Hall of Famer, Jalen Ramsey, potentially another Hall of Famer. This defensive side of the ball been a little bit inconsistent for the Rams, but right now I'm starting to feel real good about their outlook because, you know, even across from him, you talk about someone else who's a little bit underrated and Leonard Floyd, not really been talked about much, but he's having the best season of his career as well. And so now when, you know, you get all these different weapons to Raheem Morris, I feel like he's going to be able to get creative in the sense that, this is going to be a schematic advantage much more so than just that box score statistic, right? You're going to have Aaron Donald line up on one side and Von Miller line up on the other side. And then you pose an issue to offensive linemen. Where are we going to slide protections? You can only choose one way to go. You can't go both ways. And now, you know, if you're sliding to the left going to Aaron Donald, well now Von Miller is probably going to be singled up one-on-one you go to Von Miller, you're leaving the best player in football one-on-one. So it's going to be very hard to block these guys. And I think that's part of the reason why they made this move is you know, it's expensive, but you're getting a player of Hall of Fame caliber right now that you're pairing with another superstar talent Naron Donald.
2: So, so, so I'm so glad that you brought up Leonard Floyd because I, I was going to bring him up at one point. I mean, no one's talking about him, uh, at least from a national perspective. What's he got six, six and a half sacks on the year. He's having a terrific season. Uh, I'm curious, obviously he's going to play opposite Von Miller, uh, but you are our Rams expert for this episode. So who is Vaughn take snaps away from who's kind of going to start playing in a reserve role because of the Miller acquisition. Yeah. So like you mentioned, he's
0: been uh, having a career year, six and a half uh, sacks leads a team, 32 pressures on the season. According to PFF, that's only six less than Aaron Donald. So clearly been a good season, but in terms of how Vaughn Miller is going to factor in here, I think it works out real well because through the first, I want to say maybe five weeks prior to getting injured, it was Justin Hollins who was lined up across from Leonard Floyd, but tears his pec, uh partially. He's going to be out for, We don't really know, maybe two, maybe three months. He'll be back at some point later this season, but in his place has been guys like Terrell Lewis, uh, Oboe Caronco, who just kind of game came back off of a short-term IR. So it's been a bit of a rotation at that spot. And I feel like, you know, now you get Von Miller, you start to slide all of these guys into reserve roles behind, you start to feel real good about that rotation at edge. So right now it's kind of that rotation between Terrell Lewis and, and Justin Hollins. Eventually when he comes back, Oboe Caronco, some of these other names, but, uh, Von Miller should be able to take over that job real quick.
1: Yeah, yeah, probably will. I mean, he's a veteran, he's a star, but we'll see how quickly he can get up to speed. I want to shift to the offensive side of the ball here and ask you about Cooper Cup, because he has 924 receiving yards, leading the NFL over a hundred more yards than the next closest player, Debo Samuel. He's got 10 receiving touchdowns already. He has as many touchdowns on the year as Derrick Henry has rushing, and only 13 less receiving yards than Henry has rushing yards. There's been a lot of talk. Obviously, Henry will miss this game, but I mean, Cooper Cup is having as great a season at the wide receiver position through eight games as we've ever seen. Is there any way to slow this guy down from the Titans' defense perspective? And what has made him so productive? Is it just Stafford coming in and taking over at QB? Yeah, so I'm not really
0: sure how you can guard this guy. You know, at this point, it's like <laughs> uh, he's willing w- winning all over the field if it's uh, short, intermediate, uh, deep routes. At this point in time, you can go, you know, in breaking routes, outbreaking routes. There's really no limit to what he can do as a receiver. So it's kind of posing an issue for defenses. You just don't really know where he's going to go. There's not that one solidified go-to way that he has to go. Uh, so it kind of gives him a two-way go on really every route and every stem, which kind of makes it difficult there. But then you mentioned too, I mean, Stafford, he's really the the difference maker here, right? You look back to last year and all the prior years, four or five years before that, Cooper cup, always a really good player. Jared Goff, a good quarterback, solid quarterback. He always found his way, you know, to that thousand 1100 yard mark, 900 yard mark, somewhere around there. But now they're really finding ways to utilize this guy down the field. That's really the main difference between the offense from last year now. And it's really just Matthew Stafford. I mean, he's not going to check it down unless he has to, and he's always going to look to push it downfield and, uh, he's just more accurate. He's more um vindicated. It, it, he's really just decisive in terms of pre-snap. He knows where he wants to go with the football. He can look guys off in terms of defenders. So it's really been all the difference. I feel like Cooper Cup, not really much has changed in terms of what he was last year to this year. He's always been a really good player. I feel like the
2: the biggest difference, though so it's just being given more opportunities downfield. And, and so, so I was going to ask you about Stafford and, and what kind of upgrade you think he's represented on golf, but that's probably the easiest question you've ever been asked. So <laughs> uh, I think I'm going to pivot to, uh, you know, you mentioned cup, but I want to talk a little bit about Robert Woods and Daryl Henderson, a, you know, woods kind of got off to a slow start this year. He's been a lot better lately. And I think it was uh, Sean McVay who mentioned wanting to get him more involved a few weeks ago, and they have done that. And, and also Henderson, you know steps into the into the role that was expected to be taken up by cam Akers, who suffers the injury unfortunately before the season starts what has your impression been of woods more in recent weeks and how they've got him involved and how do you think henderson is doing handling the workload that he's been given yeah so woods i mean like you mentioned a little bit of an
0: up and down season it still feels like uh, he and Stafford just have something that's not really allowing them to connect. It feels like that they're just lacking a little bit of chemistry, uh, pretty much the complete opposite of what you're seeing between Stafford and cup. Those guys look like they have been playing together for, you know, five years. Whereas every now and again, you're always going to see one or two plays here or there where either Robert Woods is wide open and Stafford is overthrowing him, under throwing him, maybe throwing it a little bit too low. He's kind of got a break stride to go catch a pass. Or Robert Woods just doesn't really look comfortable. And so I'm not really sure what the disconnect is there. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? This is only Matthew Stafford's ninth week with the team, really ninth game, I should say. Uh, it didn't have any playing time with these guys in the preseason. Not one single starter got a single rep. So they're really just kind of live learning, you know, when the bullets are flying, so to say. Uh, So I'm not really going to be too harsh on that. I feel like maybe throughout the next few weeks and and throughout the next few months, they can really start to rehash that and settle down and kind of get that chemistry going, hopefully. But you see the frustration building on his face every now and again, every time, you know, he's wide open and they just can't connect. It's really frustrating to see. But in terms of the backfield, I mean, Daryl Henderson's been a really solid running back. Uh, I mean, this guy's got good vision. He's a tough runner. He can uh, run between the tackles. He can run outside of the tackles. The only thing that's really been lacking, I feel like, Uh, is that second gear. Uh, I mean, in college, which is weird because he averaged, I I think it was in his final season, the highest yards per carry uh, from all the running backs in college football. But we just haven't seen him really house call any plays this season. It's really been a lot of five to nine yard gains in that intermediate kind of grinded out style. Uh, But in general, he's been very solid. I feel like the Rams feel good about what they have in the running game. And he pairs well with Sonny Michel, who has a somewhat similar style, maybe a little bit more grinded out style. Uh, But in general,
1: they've been very solid in the running game too. Yeah. And he's stepped in for Cam Akers. It feels like the running game hasn't even missed a beat there. So Rams formidable on both sides of the ball. I want to get your thoughts here on a theory I have that the Titans could be at a slight advantage in terms of game preparation for this one. And the reason I say that is if Derrick Henry was not injured and you knew he was going to be out there, you know what the Rams defense is focusing on. It's Put as many guys in the box as you need to and shut down Derrick Henry and force Tannehill to beat you over the top and take away the running game, get up to a lead and take Henry out of the game. Right. But with Henry not on the field, this almost feels like one of those like first games of the season or like a team's first game with a new interim head coach or a backup quarterback where it's like we don't really know what the Titans offense is going to look like, how much more they're going to run you know, a drop back passing game. Mike Vrabel did say this is probably not the week to get into a drop back passing game, which I I would agree with given the Rams D line. But how much the offense shifts here without Derrick Henry, I think could be a mystery. Do you think the Rams will have any trouble game prepping for this one? I could see, you know, that coming to fruition. I really could. Like you mentioned,
0: we don't know what this offense is going to be now. I feel like you know everything is just built around Derrick Henry. He runs so hard. Of course, he's always getting the ball twenty, twenty-five times a game, and then everything kind of works through that—the play-action game, all the backside digs coming behind that when you start to suck the linebackers is up. Uh, so it's going to be difficult for the Rams right now to really decipher what they're going to see. I uh, I'm going to assume that, you know, it's going to be a very similar style of offense, maybe just with, you know, different running backs back there, Adrian Peterson, a little bit, Jerry Mc- Jeremy McNichols a little bit as well. Um, but in general, this defense been, you know, inconsistent, as I mentioned, it's probably about middle of the league right now, probably about above average at best, you know, maybe somewhere in that 12 to 14 range. So they're definitely susceptible and the running uh, defense in general has really not been good. So there's definitely ways to beat them. And, you know, we're not really going to see that much of Von Miller. I don't presume not 40 to 50 snaps. So can't get that much better over the course of one week. So I'm definitely concerned in terms of, how they're going to guard AJ, uh, A.J. Brown, how they're going to guard Julio Jones if he's out there, what's going to happen in that backfield. They really don't know what to expect. So I certainly think there is uh, you know, areas for the Titans to uh, you know, find ways to be productive on the offensive side of the ball.
2: It's going to be interesting, Sosa, so and we can't wait for this game. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us tonight, man. In closing, how do you see this game unfolding? And if you will, if you have a score prediction in mind, uh, we wouldn't mind hearing that as well.
0: Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're playing in SoFi stadium It's going back to LA. It's going to uh sunny California, Sunday night football. It's going to be the, you know, under the bright lights, all that good stuff. I'm going to lean with the Rams. I just feel like they're a little bit more trustworthy right now. I don't really know what to expect from the Titans offense. And, and in general, I do think they should have a pretty good game the one thing I can, I am concerned about is the Titans defense. I really don't know how that secondary is going to try to hold up here. I feel like every time I'm watching a Titans game, Breon borders is getting a PI call somewhere or, you know, Jack (laughs) rabbit struggling a little bit A former rain, by the way. So, you know, we're pretty familiar with that guy too. Um, I just don't know how you can guard Cooper cup, how you can find all the resources to guard all these guys. You're talking about Van Jefferson, Robert Woods, a good running game probably the best O-line of football right now. I mean, Matthew Stafford's only been sacked seven times, a quarterback that's really, really comfortable back there. Uh, So I think it should be a relatively high-scoring game. I'm going to say maybe 31-27 for the Rams. It should be pretty close. I think both teams will have some success in terms of scoring touchdowns. Then maybe have to settle for a field goal here or there. Uh, But I think it should be a pretty close
1: game, to be honest with you. I think it will. I'm going to be there, so I hope it will. I don't want to go to a blowout on either end, honestly, so I'm pretty excited for this game. Sosa, thanks again for joining us tonight. Everyone out there, make sure you're following him on Twitter. It's at QB's MVP. That's at QB's MVP. Tons of great fantasy content. He's got player breakdown threads, and obviously you'll get the Rams perspective during Sunday night's game. We are looking forward to it. Sosa, thanks for joining us, and have a great night. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, thanks again to Sosa for joining us. Loved his insight there. He was great, actually. He was really good. Um, He seems like a pro. He probably is a pro. He hosts Locked On Rams every single day, so he is a pro, and you can tell. But uh, thanks to him. Justin, you want to give a score prediction before we wrap up? Sure, I will go Rams 31-23. Okay, I'm going to go Rams 38, Titans 30 fun exciting high scoring matchup but just too much firepower over there without Derrick Henry for the Titans to keep up although I do think what I said there the element of surprise the Titans could have in this game I don't know if that last past halftime once the Rams have a chance to make adjustments and stuff but I could see the Titans offense coming out and getting off to a hot start here I could also see them running Adrian Peterson on first and second down for a total of two yards and then going three and out on a bad third and eight so or Tannehill gets sacked on third and eight, honestly. That's 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 my prediction for how the game opens. Handoff, handoff, sack <laughs> for the Titans offense. All right. Some things to watch this week are to see if Christian Fulton and Jayon Brown can get back. Titans will be able to activate them to return designate them to return from IR. They haven't done so yet as of this recording on Tuesday night, but hopefully you get these guys back because I do not really want to watch Elijah Molden in the slot matched up one-on-one with Cooper Cup. That's a disaster waiting to happen. I know the rookie needs all the seasoning he can get before the playoffs get here, but that is not a matchup I look forward to watching at all.
2: So, they correct me if I'm wrong, they haven't haven't done anything with Fulton yet, right? Like, he's just on IR. Have they even opened up his 21-day window? They haven't designated, no.
1: He could be designated to return tomorrow, a Wednesday morning, which would allow him to practice this week, and then they would have until Sunday night's game to activate him. But none of that has happened yet, so
2: we'll have to keep our eye on that. I mean, I hope I look foolish, but even if that happens, I mean, you look at how it happens with, I think, Marcus Johnson, Darrington Evans— all those guys pretty much took another week to get ready. So I, sure. I don't see, you know, I, I I don't think I give more than a 10% chance that Christian Fulton plays in this game. Yeah, that's probably
1: accurate. Same he, goes uh, for Deion Brown. Had that hamstring injury. He left the game. He tried to come back and play on it and he almost like fell down in the middle after a play because his hamstring was hurting him so bad he had dropped to the ground. So I do think that you know, that could have been a pretty serious hamstring injury. And just because he he's eligible to be designated to return, that just means three weeks have passed since three games, excuse me, have passed since he got placed on IR. There's no telling how much longer he'll be there, but you would hope that he's back sooner than later. All right. That will do it for us here. Before we wrap up, I have to give a shout out. You guys should know how this works by now. We're giving shout outs. If you shout us out, with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will shout you out on the podcast. And today we are shouting out Voodoo Master, who, who left us this tremendous review. Justin, this sounds like I'm making it up. This is a real review left by a real person that we don't know. He says, best Titans podcast. This is easily the best Titans podcast currently airing. The hosts are knowledgeable and not arrogant, drunk, or edgy. Good analysis, and more importantly, fair analysis. So, uh, kudos to us for being the best Titans podcast currently airing.
2: You heard it. The number one Titans podcast. Like, we all kidding aside, we appreciate the review. Uh, Justin and and I, um, you know, do our best to remain level headed and, and deliver you great analysis. And, uh, with, like you said, without being edgy, without being, you know, mixing in beers here and there. And, and, and I love beer. Don't get me wrong. I, I love beer, but we, we, we stay sober for the show and we enjoy doing it that way. So, uh, appreciate even the me. review and, and keep tuning in my man. Even me, even I'm staying
1: sober for the show. People who know me well, <laughs> will know what that means. All right, let's wrap it up. Give us a shout-out on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and staying to listen this long. We appreciate all of our listeners. Be sure you're telling your friends about the show. We're trying to grow. We're always trying to find new new listeners, grow to new people. So five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts really help us do that. We will be back next week with another episode to talk about Titans Saints. We'll recap this Rams game, cover any news
2: that happens, and, yes, preview the Titans and the Saints. I have so many friends in that market. I do not know who our guests will be yet for that episode, but I promise you it's going to be a good one. We will be back for that next week. Until then, you guys
1: stay safe out there and tighten up.
2: A Broadway Sports Media Production.